A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Rick Shields. I'm here with producer Guy, and we have a guest today, which I'm excited about, because we're going to, I feel like we've got, obviously, loads to discuss. I want to know and get right into the, the brain behind Peter Finch today. All right. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Shortest podcast episode for you guys. <laughs> um, I feel like we've got a, a number of things to address, um, some, a little bit of, controversy last week which sparked some flames and fires on social mm. media which we want to address as well um where should we kind of start this where should we go with this guy we've obviously got to start with the elephant in the room which oh is peter God. finch don't be lying dropping that again no that that's <laughs> the first thing i think because it basically obviously last week i'm sure people listen to this episode listen to last week's as well but there might be some people who didn't do and again i guess most people everybody listening will know who peter finch is but for the Odd person listening, Pete, who doesn't know, which there won't be many of, obviously, but how would you explain yourself in a sentence or two? Um, golf pro turned YouTuber, now content creator, and zoo animal, apparently. <laughs> yes. um, that's, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much where I'm at at the moment. So quite a similar story to Rick, and we probably will come on to that later on in the podcast, but the reason we obviously interviewed the elephant in the room was last week we... Um, I think dissected would be the right word, your open qualifying for this year. And it went, the podcast went big. There was lots of comments. It was definitely our most commented podcast video. Yes. Maybe not for the right reasons. There was a lot of negativity, a lot of support for Pete, which you'll be glad to know about. So we wanted to go over that podcast episode, hear your take on things. Maybe we can slightly better articulate some of our points and see where it ends up okay. so the first thing i would like to say then pete is is jokes aside i think what we try and do with the podcast is as you'll see today it is very unscripted so we turn the mics on and we will spend an hour an hour and a half talking about all sorts of things from golf to um dominoes to sometimes we do talk about golf awesome little bits of golf <laughs> and we, we don't edit anything out it literally is what it is and the, the, the problem with that is well the benefit of that is it's authentic conversation yeah the negative to that is that you sometimes listen back to it, which i do every time and you say things that you either 
didn't mean to say or didn't say very well. So even a simple example would be I could be reading out a, a nightmare golf story or an email we've had sent in, let's say, and it might say, I hit my seven iron and this happened. And sometimes I'll listen back and I'll have said four iron and I'll have said the wrong word. So you think, well, I, I don't know why I said that. But also you say things that might not be the best um, choice of word or phrases. So anyway, last week we got on to open qualifying and, and your score. And I started that section with the elephant in the room, which definitely on reflection wasn't my, um, wasn't my best piece of work, if you like. That's the right um, phrase. And it, it did maybe start off like it was going to be very negative. So I would like to apologise to you for that because maybe I should have said, so Peter Finch played in it, not the elephant in the room. I don't really have a reason why I said that, but I did. And I can't say that back now. And tens of thousands of people have seen that and commented on that, which is fair enough. So again, accept my apology on that. If it, you know, it probably did do your head in. I don't want to piss you off a little bit. However, my other points about your golf and stuff, I, I do stand by. I want to dig into that. Um, well, let's say what. Let's say your take first, and let's go from there. Um, yeah, I think the main issue that well, many people took issue with. I think whenever you describe something as an elephant in the room, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's never a. It never starts off in a positive sense. So I think that was what a lot of people took a bit of umbrage with. But I think, like most things on social media, you know, there's <laughs> there's going to be a scale of reactions Mm -hmm. and that kind of range from you know people who probably listened to it a little bit more closely took the points and people who jumped to my defense with a little bit too much enthusiasm Mm -hmm. i would uh i would potentially (laughs) say but at the end of the day that a lot of that is what happens on social media if there's a dividing line drawn people will take sides and a lot of people did that um which you know it, it, it it's something you can't control like it, it, it's just going to happen no matter no matter what you put out i think the main thrust of what people were a little bit maybe a little bit put off by and certainly which i probably took almost a little bit too personally in some respects was when it was talked about how people who make youtube videos and then go into competitions probably I can't remember who said it, but think themselves better than they are and let on that they're better than they are, which almost tricks an audience mm-hmm. into following along with a journey under like a false pretense. And I think that was probably the main point which was kind of raised by a lot of people, but also which kind of took a little bit more personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think certainly with the the Quest for the Open and stuff that I'm doing, you know, it, it's all very... It's all very out there. I always post all my competition results. So people know exactly kind of how I'm getting on in competition. So I think that was what people were getting really Mm -hmm. annoyed about. And again, too much and way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, it it was really interesting seeing people's reaction. I think people really do kind of maybe underestimate my comfort level talking about you and your golf you know we've known each other for many many years and it's nothing that I wouldn't kind of massively say to your face or wouldn't say you know sometimes there are different levels I fully fully expected this year you to post a number and I'm sure you probably did as well going into it because the way you were playing golf in the build-up to it the way you again you had your first professional win which was the local tour event at uh, Marsland Park the way you were swinging it, the way you were hitting it, the numbers you like, you were starting to really see trends. I thought this is it. This could be 
Pete's going to post a number. He's going to get it through. And then it was like, on the back end, I was like, oh, like, what a shame. Like, frustrating, I'm sure, for you, for many people watching. And your support that you get is just phenomenal, regardless of whether you play good or bad, as, mm-hmm. as I got as well when I was kind of doing it a little bit as well, which always surprises me. I always feel like when I had a bad round, I let people down. And I'm probably, are you of a, a similar kind of, do, have you seen that over the number of years or has it become less phased now? I think it's, I, I certainly don't feel like I'm letting people down. I think most people really appreciate when they watch this stuff that it is a journey about trying to get better of golf. The only problem with the quest for the Open is in the title and in the series, it has a very specific point in time mm. where you have to shoot a good score to progress through Open it's qualifying. One, it's one round of golf. That, exactly. That's that, the build-up to regional qualifying. Exactly. So there's this huge build-up, and then there's this one point in time where if you don't play well, then you don't get through. And it was just it, as simple as that, really. I just didn't play just didn't play very well on the day. And it is unfortunate, but it's a case of... It's a difficult thing to explain in many respects, but you know, I'd like the Quest for the Open stuff to be judged on the whole, you know, as a whole year, season by season, if you want to look at it like that. And that's probably more of a fair reflection about how you play. Because, you know, everyone knows you, golf's a really difficult game. You can be playing amazing golf. And I've not been playing amazing golf. I've been playing okay. But if you have one bad round at the wrong time, then, yeah, it's not it's not going to be What's good. the famous saying? A thousand good shots build confidence and one shatter it, really, doesn't it, in golf as well? That, that is the thing, though, with professional sport, isn't it? It's like at the minute we've got the Euros on and Gareth Southgate's done an amazing job. But if he had an amazing six-month run in all the friendlies and lost his opening match 5-0 the journeys are relevant to that degree the, the point when it counts so I can understand that like what you're, you're saying it is a journey and there's a lot of documenting that all year and there's some really good pieces of content there but from my perspective when I it, last week it was about the actual result on the day and like I said maybe that is because it's quest for the open you look at that actual that tournament result don't you one thing that seemed to really get people worked up and I don't know how you interpreted this was when I talked about how social media can be false. And a lot of people thought that I was saying you doctor your scores in vlogs to appear that you've played better than you have. I don't know how you interpreted that, but that wasn't what I was saying. What I was saying is that like anything, like a Facebook profile picture, nobody puts on an ugly picture of themselves, do they? If you go on somebody's profile picture versus the tagged photos, we all look better in our profile picture. That's a fact. <laughs> yep. And, you know, with social media and I again held my hands up I do this I actively still do do this if I put a swing video on on YouTube sorry, on Instagram not on YouTube I don't have YouTube on Instagram I make sure I put my best prettiest swing on equally I suppose like at the weekend when you had your lesson you did your best driver shot 100% I did that on best, purpose the best distance yeah. and, and everything else so again I had a lesson at the weekend with Barry Taylor didn't hit it great hit one shot that went 287 carry 300 odd total put it on, it, put it on Instagram because that's what people do a lot of people do um, and I think the way people interpreted it was that I had said, you go out and play in, 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 on videos and your scores aren't real. And it's not that at all. But what I do think, and this is why I still believe that people often think the creators are better than they are, is because, yes, you might post a result once every couple of weeks on your Instagram of how you've done in a pro-am or whatever it might be. But within that, there's probably most days a swing video, a long drive, a chip-in, whatever it might be, that's pretty. Now, you, you must admit, you wouldn't necessarily put on a horrendous shank chip 
very often. You're going to put on your better ones more often than not because that's just what it's, it's human nature. And I therefore think that people perceive online creators as being better than they actually are. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's difficult for me to put an ugly swing on it because <laughs> I've got an amazing swing. So. It doesn't work in comps. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could go out to a range and I could, I could try and get a bad swing. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying I'll be able to do that, though. Um, I mean, I think whenever you put anything on social media, certainly now, um, you know, I've got people who kind of help me out in that regard. A lot of the stuff that we put out on on Instagram, not so much on Twitter, because I'm still looking after that. Which you know, I need to pass off as well to <laughs> someone who knows what they're doing on it. Um, but everything there is going to be content. So you know, I've put bad swings and bad shots on there for a specific purpose, you know, to let people know that people do hit bad shots and to tag the mates if they've hit bad shots and to get that conversation going. Yeah. I I'm in a position where again and I'll I'll stand by this. The, the reason that one of the reasons I'm playing in comps is that there is a a definitive measure of how good that golf actually is. So I can put out, you know, great-looking golf swings on Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be. And I'll always kind of do that in the build-up to a comp, and then we'll see what happens in that comp. It's it's as simple as that. And I I don't really... I don't really think there's anything kind of wrong with that in many respects. You know, I, I won't shy away from putting good shots or, or bad shots on social. And yeah. I completely agree, but you must then understand that people do then look at your good shots that you put on and, and think, like you said, he looks like he's playing well because of the, the shots and things that you see online. Yeah, I, I always get this idea that, and and I kind of feel very realistic with my golf because I know where I, I sit with it, that I'm not that great. <laughs> I'm okay, but I can kind of, I'm not brilliant because I, I don't vouch to be, I don't practice loads, I don't put loads of time and effort in. I failed in competitions when I was playing in competitions, certainly towards the back end of it. Um, it was interesting though, I, I look back at like when I kind of first started, even with you to 2015, 2016 and I actually could play in competitions it kind of became a big thing for me is as my audience grew and I felt like I had more people who were responsible, or not responsible maybe accountable or, or behind my journey, I found it too much pressure and kind of failed from that and that's I've always tipped my hat to you for that for that idea because to be able to put yourself out there and still post your comp scores, now you've got a mass probably, you've got in close to a million overall followers, are you on all platforms? Um, yeah, I think like so. It's a big know. audience to be able to kind of, at the end of the day, go, this is what I've done, this is what I've shot. I think it takes real courage. So I never would ever, ever slag anyone off for that. I think for, for me, it's this idea that other people weirdly feel like I'm better feel like I'm better than what I am. Like, I know people will come and see me, at, let's say the Marriott or whatever, and they'll go, oh, Rick, well done. You're like, plus one handicap, which I got recently. I'm thinking, right, it's good. Not really. It feels like it, it is, but on paper it is, but it doesn't always feel like that's actually how I'm playing golf. Like, for you, and this is a really interesting question, like, how good do you think you are? And how close do you think you are to get into, like, the next level? And what is that level? I mean, you, you posted a video this weekend, which which obviously watched, saying that this is this the final open qualifying, which is a very nice title and thumbnail, by the way. Um, and you and you mentioned on there that you, you don't feel like you're quite there yet. Like, could you kind of dive into that a little bit more as well? Yeah, I mean, I think quite a few points. There. I think if we go from 
the first thing is you can't control how other people are going to perceive you. There's no point in trying to do that. So there's going to be people on social media who look at my swing, look at your swing, look at our games and say, oh, great golfer, oh, terrible golfer. And what are you trying to say? Well, <laughs> this, this, get, this gets on to kind of like my next point. I mean, when you do look back at your comps when you were playing in them, yeah, you, you're a good player. Yeah. I I, th- I think there's a there's a definite difference in maybe how we perceive your golf performance and how I would perceive my golf performance. Yeah. I would look at your golf performance and say you strike it well. <laughs> Need to work on your wedges. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's been a consistent theme for about 7 let me, years let me, now. Let me just write um, this down. <laughs> but I look at your game and I think there's a good golfer there with lots of potential yeah. if you can get over your nerves and not worry about what people would think if you post yeah. a bad score. You look at your golf game, and I would, from the outset, and what you've just said there, would go into a competition with more nerves about failing. Oh, way more. Way more. Now, if you do that, that's letting, again, other people's perception of your game mm-hmm. actually stop you from competing. Definitely. And, it's, and it's turned you now into someone who doesn't enjoy that environment. Yeah. And the fact is, like playing in, comp- playing in comps, especially when you are when you have an audience, when you're posting results, it's difficult. Yeah, It's hard because it's not nice to turn around and say, oh, you know, I shot bad score. I didn't do what I wanted to do, you know. Yeah. But every, everybody reading that, if every single person from 10,000 people who would watch, watch that comment, whatever it's going to be, 10,000 people, about 100 of those, if they're lucky, would have played well enough to win that week. Yeah. On, even on the net score, really, it's not yeah. wouldn't have been on a gross score. Not many would pe- probably would beat your worst score. Let's yeah, say exactly. So pe- wh- people, where do you feel play like golf and they lose all the time? Way more yeah. than they win, obviously. Yeah, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. That. Yeah. So if I post a bad score, as long as I can learn from that, give something back to an audience, that's that's all that matters. It doesn't yeah. matter if you shoot a bad score. No, no one is affected by it. Yeah. Like no one's going to see you post a bad score and be like, "Oh God, that's that's ruined my week." I'm unsubscribing. Yeah, you don't get that. Oh, <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> no, I I've always had this idea, and, and we joked about it back even back in the day. Like, you do either want to shoot sixty five or ninety five because there's a story there. Like, it's either I've shot the lights out, played amazing, or uh, you know what, I've actually had the worst round of my life because at least there's a story. I, I, like mid seventies doesn't do a great deal to a storyline. Let's say set fire um, to the course or set fire to yourself. One of the two. Nice. Coming back to you, okay. where do you feel like your game is now? And and realistically now, this is what, because you didn't do 15 because you are injured, did you? Yeah, it's like... The back end of 15, first, you had, did your wrist? I think it was first year, first year didn't, I think. And then, I think it's been, this was the fifth year. 2016? Yeah. Yeah, 17, 18, 19, no 20, 21. Yeah. Okay. So currently right now, Obviously, you've put more time in. Do you feel like you had the the best year this year as in preparation, getting yourself ready? Like, where do you feel like your game is? I'm, re- I'm really interested to know this. Um, I, I don't think this year was the best preparation in many respects. One of the things which I, I probably should have shared a little bit more, I think people could see because I was kind of wearing a wrist strap quite a lot, like just like wrist, back, body, slowly disintegrating um after do you think, years do you feel like that was any fault of anything that you did either as well no not really i think it's just a case that certainly when i was younger a lot of the practice i was doing you know off mats yeah concrete 
that's on concrete floors. Yeah. I'm not concrete floors. I'm not that northern. But also the fact that, you know, over the last you know, 10, 15 years, I've just not looked after my body like, yeah. really at all. Um, so I, and that is a limiting factor as far as how much you can play in practice. And then obviously with trying to do all the content, it's not an ideal situation. Yeah. So that is part of the the process, which I haven't figured out yet. Well, come on, I'm going to hold you to this idea of where your golf is, but you just picked up on a point there, which yeah, again, sorry. I think was really kind of jumped on last year or last week, shall I say, feels like a year ago already. This idea that I mentioned, can YouTubers play great golf when they're documenting it? Describe to the audience the challenges that you might face as somebody who's in the content creation world, but also trying to play at a professional level. Like, do you see that being quite a, a challenge on a daily basis? Yeah, it, it's a massive channel. It's a massive challenge in respects that where my golf is currently at as well is not where it needs to be to get through where I would ideally want to be as far as the quest is concerned. Final qualifying, so regional qualifying. Like my game at the moment, I, I'm more than good enough to get through that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. I just had a bad day, it got away from me, and I just finished terribly. So I'm not worried about that. But even if a few things would have gone my way at West Langs and I'd have got through to final qualifying, realistically at the moment, would I have got through that? No. Because what what got through at West Langs in the end for two rounds? Um, I think it was six. So fine. Quick look. And it was outraged. That well, I know St. Anzo links was something like 12, I think it was in the end. Yeah, yeah. Some guy shot nine under in the first round. So, yeah, so so to get through to final qualifying, you got to be shooting six under par for two rounds of golf. Okay. So, I don't know why it was on there. Tell us about the challenges. You the challenges. I mean, the easiest way to describe it is, and it's not, it's not a popular thing to kind of say, but one of the reasons is because what we do as far as, you know, we're involved in golfing every day, you know, podcasts, videos, you know, on the course, whatever it's going to be. It's amazing, but it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. So if you do that, which is a full-time job, and then you're trying to basically compete against people who are treating their golf as a full-time job, Yeah. I've got two full-time jobs. Yeah. And... The only problem is with the professional playing side, you don't get paid for that. Really, unless you win. Unless you win. And the comps that I would win have won, you know, I ain't going to be buying me yacht anytime soon. <laughs> so it's a case of trying I, to just, balance the two. Don't mind me asking, how much did you win for your, for your win this, this year that you got? Oh, God, I don't even know. Um, I think it's about 400, I want to say. 400 quid. But I've, to be fair, I, the, the actual money behind the comps that, I play and I win. It sounds very kind of snooty, but that's not really the the point for me. Yeah, because I know that it's the the content that I'm making around it, which is probably more important. Yeah, and if I was really, really worried about how much money I was making from it, then that would add more pressure that I don't really want. <laughs> Do you think again that that's where and I keep going back to social media? But like you said, then that you d- it's obviously you don't get as much chance to play because you're creating content. But like Rick often gets, it appears to people online that you're always playing golf and always practicing and always hitting balls in your studio, which might not be the case. But because you see it on social media most days, it mm. appears to people like you are practicing loads and you know playing devil's advocate a bit. Some of those guys that got through regional qualifying are full time lads who work in a pro shop who don't get to play probably as much as you do. 
So there's also that. I mean, it's different final because those guys at final are full-time amateurs, elite amateurs, or full-time golf pros. But at regional, a lot of the guys that got through are actually guys who have full-time jobs as well. I mean, in the same context, you can flip it around and say, well, because they don't post much on social media, how much do you know they are practising? Well, yeah, but they have got nine-to-five jobs, so... I mean, I've got a nine-to-nine job, and I'm still trying to find time to do it. You shouldn't. But your job is golf, isn't it? Your job's not sat in a pro shop. You're still hitting balls when you when you're working, and you're out doing a video. You're still hitting golf balls, and you're still practicing. Yeah, of course. But I think if you're going to judge, if you're going to judge people by what they post on social media, you well, that's also, how can, that's how we're going to judge you, though, isn't it? Because you are an online content creator. Exactly. But you should also judge other players by what they're kind of not posting as well. You know, the the fact is, a lot of the very best players, um, even if they are working at golf clubs. They'll be still putting the practice in. They're still putting the time in. They're just not posting about it. Like posting about practice, posting about what I'm doing is natural to me. Someone who plays very good golf, they might not need to, might not want to. There's no, no skin off their nose. And also, there's a difference in the type of player that certainly I found out that I am compared to a lot of other people. I cannot go into a competition having three months off. It just doesn't work for me. I need constant competition to actually keep that not exactly competitive edge. That's not the right way of looking at it. It's more the... Like a confidence it, in, it's in the, it's the, the score It's the control of nerves, basically. If I'm constantly playing in competitions, it's fine because I get used to it. If I have an extended period of time out, as soon as I get back into a competition, then that's when I get really nervous. And I know that that first comp back is always a bit of a, a, bit of a write-off for me. because It's just getting, getting back into it. Where a lot of players who have had very good amateur careers, who've been good as a young pro, they can maybe raise the level of their game a little bit quicker than I can. Um, but I'm going from a position where I was a okay golfer to a very mediocre pro to now a pro who's all right to someone who wants to get good. You know, it's just I'm I'm going to have to practice more. <laughs> I get I, I Makes sense. But you must also understand where I'm coming from, that your whole journey is documented online, on YouTube, on Instagram, etc. So when I then said that's how I perceive as a viewer or a, you know watching you online, that is only the way we, we can uh, is perceive what you're doing is by what you post on mm-hmm. online. So it does appear that you do play a lot of golf because that's what we see online most days. Yeah, of course. Uh, but again, maybe I, that could be something that could be in the quest more. You know, you could you could maybe not that I'm telling you what content to, to make for anyone says I am, but maybe you could somehow show more behind the scenes of the actual grind of producing the videos and, and managing staff, so people actually can realise that you aren't just playing golf every day. You have other aspects to your business that stop you from doing that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's two sides to that. I don't think. In many respects, and I might be wrong about this, but a lot of people are just going to watch for the golf, um, you know, that's course vlogs, where it's equipment reviews, wherever it might be, and they're not really that bothered about kind of what we're doing behind the scenes. That, that's how I kind of see it. I, I, just, I, I think I think they are. I think that video did, you did with the Open was unbelievable, and that showed much more of you with your dog going out for a walk at the gym. It showed Peter Finch. I don't say the real because you always are real, but like more behind the scenes. I think people would actually enjoy to see more of you. Yeah, I think it's maybe that's more of a decision I've probably made over the last couple of years to, because I certainly used to document it a little bit more like that. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's a case of saying, well, you know, I could document a whole day or I could just focus on what I'm trying to do and then film a select amount of time and hopefully produce a better amount of content out of that. So it's being a little bit more focused on, on what we're showing or what we're filming. So, yeah, that is an issue. But again, like, 
a lot of it has to come down to the person who's watching as well to kind of understand what's going on. I mean, I've had quite a few messages. I'm still posting videos that were filmed in Scotland, and there's people messaging me saying, oh, I, I see you're still in Scotland. Can you come for a game? Which, it, it makes sense. If you watch that video and then haven't seen the videos prior to that, then, yeah, that's fine. You'd look at it and go, oh, he's in Scotland. I'll yeah. give him a message. That was three weeks ago. Yeah. And <laughs> so, again, though, that's what it, it comes down to how people digest social media. And like you said before about you do post all your comments results, and you do, I'll take my hat off to you. But John, who picks up his phone, might not have seen that yesterday and just sees you smacking a drive. Oh, God, Pete's ripping it up. It's like people don't see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, maybe those videos were, it actually shows what it's like to have a team and, you know, be really busy, not just playing golf. I think that would open people's eyes yeah. more. It's, uh, you know, and again, I think it's the misconception. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Of the audience can sometimes be a little bit false in the, in, in the fact that not their fault, just how how they digest information, like you're saying, that you do grind every day, 12 hours a day, and, and kind of forget the other factors that go into it. I mean, I must admit, back in kind of, was it a couple of years ago, I felt like you were doing almost weekly updates, or was it bi-weekly updates of everything that you've done? And I felt like that gave a really, really good rep- representation of everything that kind of got involved, where now for the Quest for the Open series, is that, when do you when do you release kind of content around that? Is it a little bit more sporadic? How yeah, does that work? This year it's definitely been a little bit more sporadic in the sense that I, I want to try and make the videos a little bit more consistent, but also 
have a certain topic. Mm. So what we're going to try and do this year is whenever I've got a comp, so like next week I've got a few comps. So it's picking a subject, whether that's going to be driving, chipping, iron play, or equipment, or you know whatever it's going to be. Picking that subject, focusing around that subject, and how that translates into competition performance. So next week it might be, I think maybe around a piece of equipment that I want to put in the bag, how to practice with that and how that then performs in a competition and use that as a vehicle to explain about what went in the comp and what went on that week to prepare. Because I think if you just do a video which is, this is my update from the week, it's fine, there's no driving force Mm -hmm. behind it. And I think a lot of videos, certainly if you want to appeal to a wider audience, they need a a certain subject for people to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think with updates, updates are fine, but like it's very easy to scroll past an update as well. If if someone misses it. Do you sometimes feel this is a world that we completely live in? And I feel like I kind of might know the answer to this, but I want to put it forward anyway. Like obviously with YouTube and we're under no illusion, we are as bad as anybody if you want to use that term. You have to think of titles, of thumbnails, and you want to keep the audience engaged, obviously because we all want the views. That's true, that's not a negative, that's that's the fact of YouTube. But before when you said about the quest for the open video, some of the more behind-the-scenes thing, do you almost get put off by that because you think it would appeal to a lesser audience and you, and you kind of feel that, like, somebody seeing you do an actual day-to-day thing could have real value, but it might only appeal to a smaller section and that kind of, you think, well, I'm uploading today, I don't want to upload a video that's only going to appeal to a small amount of people. Um, potentially. I think certainly, you know, this is very kind of youtube but, you know, when you have a look at what, uploads actually work on youtube that's different to what would work on say an instagram story or tweets and the rest of it so it's a case of saying okay so i want to i want to try and update and document my progress i've been doing that a lot more from a behind the scenes perspective on instagram yeah and that seems to be okay whereas on youtube if you put one of those videos out a week it probably wouldn't do that well yeah and what and what that does is that kind of puts a bit of a block in the way of other content that you could be putting out, which 100%. would do better. And, you know, the reality is now I've got, you know, I've got three guys kind of working for me, doing a great job. We need to make sure that they have the material to actually work with. And if it's a video which we know is going to do amazing versus a video which is, oh, here's me grinding for a few hours at the range every day, that's going to get put on the side i respect that that's completely fair it's like a similar analogy and this is what sometimes obviously i love youtube we all do it's given us all a, a job and stuff i can't you know i can't speak bad of it but what sometimes upsets me a little bit and you, i'm sure you feel the same is you can make a really good piece of content because it's not got a good title or thumbnail it doesn't do that well so like some of the break 75 videos that we've posted have been actually better than others but yeah. because there wasn't a massive kind of selling point to that particular episode it's not popped Whereas when like something bad goes wrong or there's something like at JCB with a ma- yeah. like a really significant par three that's two hundred and fifty five yards, that gets more clicks, and that is just the nature of the beast, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes you make a really lovely piece of content, and because it's not got a really strong title, it doesn't get the views, and it is harsh, isn't it? Really? Well, that that side of it is 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 the biggest challenge of content creation. Like it's got to be fresh, it's got to be different, it's got to be attracting people's attention because like you're saying now as well, you've got responsibilities, you've got three members of staff, you've got you've got to be making good uploads and you want to grow. Like you want to get to the half million mark, you want to get to a million mark and that and it's those like goals that you keep driving forward that probably will dictate content sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um I say it feels. In, I've I got, don't kind of know where no, we're getting with this I think I've got one more but. question on this, and I think we'll just move on to all the more light-hearted stuff. Well, two more questions actually. Um, 
realistically, honestly, Pete, I want your honest opinion now. From when we spoke on the podcast last week, did you truthfully feel like we were saying you should quit? It certainly gave the impression on the pod that it was, if you kind of lumped in all the other kind of YouTubers, content creators who were playing, that you're at a level, you know your level, people are better on you, so why are you even trying? Mm-hmm. That's how it really came across. And people who certainly play in competitions, you can understand why they take it personally. But you can also understand why people who want to watch videos of competitions or want to watch people improving would also take that personally. Because what you're saying is, why bother? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Do something else. Whereas you've got to... I certainly feel you've got to put yourself in those situations and in those competitions to learn about yourself, to learn about your game, and to ultimately improve. Yeah, you know, there are players who are definitely better than me in the local region, national level, you know, and certainly going into open qualifying. But the chances of me improving to that level are literally going to be zero unless I'm competing with them and trying to learn how to get better. Just, just quick on that then, at one set. If that's how it came across, that. It's not what we intended. No. And I even said that I think you should do it every year because why would you not? I think what I was meaning, and I'll hopefully try and do it in a more articulate way, I, I may well stumble up again, wasn't so much that you should stop and that you're not good enough, you should quit. It was just more a case of, I mean, if you had, and, and there's a lot of comments people saying, oh, you shouldn't tell people to give up on the dream, and that's not it. It's just more about having things that are realistic, achievable, like a smart goal. So, for example, if you had a, a guy come in for a lesson tomorrow, I know you don't coach so much, but you, let's just say, and he's a nice, solid 15 handicapper, and he said, I want to be off scratch in six months. You wouldn't say, that's not going to happen. But you'd probably be risk and say, it might not happen. There's obviously been cases where it has, I'm sure. And people might comment below with examples where it has. Might not be that realistic. So for me, it wasn't so much that I don't think you should do it. It was possibly more that maybe if it was more like the goal was actually just to get through regional for, for one year. That is more, I think you could do that. I think it's realistic. I think that like even now, and, and I'm, it's great that you've got the support. People saying, come on, Pete, one more go, get to... St Andrews next year, go for it, of course. Not that you need my blessing, obviously. But it still doesn't feel, in my opinion, realistic. I think the realistic goal is more like get through regionals next year and get to final and see what happens personally. Because, but again, I'm probably going to get a shot yeah, down. No, I, listen, I, I, I didn't think you should quit. 100%, I think you should continue to do it, obviously. And all the other content creators that do it, I know uh, James Wiltshire had a little bit of a dig. He, he wasn't happy with what we said. And it wasn't the fact that we shouldn't be doing it. I think co- making content around the subject, um, like I say, we, we, there has been crazy examples where pros have got into the open that have gone from regional to final qualifying. Um, for, me, for me, it was more just getting this idea, like at the moment, <clears throat> I think you're one of the best golfers that I know. How close are you or how close do you feel like you need to get to? Or what? what's the realistic pathway to get to like shooting five, six, seven under all the time, which is probably the numbers realistically you need to be shooting to try and get through to, to obviously regional qualifying, not so much, but final qualifying. Like, do you have a pathway or a journey to try and get to those kind of goals, numbers? Um, I mean, the one thing that I've always thought, and I'd love to know your take on this as well, obviously you support the local PJ competitions. At the moment, are they 
a good enough benchmark or should you be playing in, in bigger competitions? Like, is is there, I don't know, is there bigger competitions where the, the competition is more fierce, where there's 120 really good golfers week in, week out? Does that does, does anything like that even exist? Um, I think from a competition standpoint, so the local PJ events now, there's actually some really good players in there. So there's ex-tour pros, there's people with really good careers in there. Do you think the courses are hard enough at those events? Um, some of them are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very different, though, because, like, at some of the courses that, let's say, you know, the, the mini tours play on, a lot of those are probably better suited to my game because they're longer, a bit wider. I what do you mean by the mini tours? Uh, so you're... Uh, like your Jamaica tour. Okay. I, I was going to say Euro Pro, but that's obviously a little bit... A little like, is the Clutch Tour, is that one of them? Yeah, I know... Is that a, down south, though? Clutch Tour? There's Clutch uh, 2020. Yeah. And there's a few more, to be fair. Yeah, 1836, um, does that still exist? Yes, it does, yeah. Okay. Um, but I've not I've not looked into those enough. Yeah. And for me, the p- local PJ events as well, they're actually well-spaced out enough. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, if, the, if I want to play in a, let's say, three-day event, let's say Euro Pro Tour, for example, that's a three-day event. In reality, you're going to be traveling one day, at least one day for a practice round. Yeah. That's going to be four days. Mm. And if you make the cut, it's three rounds. Isn't it? Yeah, if you make the cut, it's like four to five days, basically. Yeah. So it's your full week gone. So, and I wouldn't be able to film that while I'm playing. So for me, it's, it's a non-starter straight away. And to be fair, the local PJ events have a better, uh, probably a better setting for me to try and get through open qualifying. Because you go to an event, it's a one-day, it's regional qualifying. Okay. You've just got to figure out how to shoot a good score and on that day. There is some good names. You said Ryan O'Neill, I saw uh, Dave Shacklady. There's a lot of guys in there who are serious players that you can compete against, to be fair. Yeah, Phil Archer, yeah. You know, European Tour Pros. And you know, if, if I can consistently get up around the top of the leaderboard in those events, then... I think that's a good benchmark to set myself. Mm. Um, and the fact is that if you go to the, the mini tours, there's a lot of amazing players on there who are trying to make it to the tour. I'm yeah. not trying to make it to the tour. If I play in a four-round event, that is an exceptional novelty for me. And I don't need to be good at four rounds. Yeah, I need to be good at one round <laughs> when I need to be. And then if I get through to final qual, if I need to be good over two rounds. You've explained that really well, and that makes a lot of sense. It really does. The fact that it's it's a shootout base that you're going for. Like these mini, these one day events at PJ, they're a shootout. You're trying to shoot four, five, six hundred to try and win it. Obviously, do you think then? And and again, this kind of goes two ways. If you played in those four day events, mm-hmm. do you think that would get you into a mindset of preparation that would would make you then so good at one day events? Like, do you think there'd be any benefits playing in these four-day events? Like, knowing that, okay, I can go out and shoot a 66. I can go out potentially the next day and shoot a 71 because I've not been swinging it that well or whatever it may be. I've had a bad third day and I need to go out on the final fourth day and shoot a 66 or whatever to win it. Do you think having those four opportunities to play competition rounds in, in consecutive would help you in the one-day events? Um, Potentially. I mean, it's one of those things where I just don't know. I, I would say it wouldn't because I think what you're doing regional qualifying is a one day event you want to get shit hard at playing golf over 18 holes so the 18 hole ones probably are the best thing to be doing do you think that courses are then tough enough again I've mentioned that like obviously West Lanks is ridiculously hard like I know it it's it's outrageously hard golf course the rough is brutal it's long it's tight like never mind the weather conditions and things like that yet 
when I do see the local events, and I've not played every single of the ones locally you've played in, like they aren't that test, are they really? Would you say? Um, Am I wrong? I'd love. There's a, there's a few, like say, where I actually won the event kind of this year at Marsden Park. Yeah, it's a basically well, it's a course up in Burnley near where the studio Quest Golf Academy used to be, and on the face of it, you look at the card and you think, oh, that's, it's like six thousand four hundred yards. You know, it's it's fine. But when you actually play it, it's hard. Is it fiddly? Wait, tight like, and fiddly. It's or? tight. It's fiddly. It's undulating. There's loads of out of bounds everywhere, because you know when you when you play a shorter course and you see this all the time. Like there's a lot of pro events that go to a shorter course and you think, oh, they're going to tear it up. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the scores there are actually higher than if they were playing a seven thousand yard course, because they're shorter, they're tighter, the greens are small and undulating. It's a different challenge, and I think with any comp. Like literally any comp, you've the roof's coming. I was going to say, I got a thunder. <laughs> I think with um, with any comp, you've literally just got to play that course that you find on the day. Yeah, and you know, if I'm going into a course which I think is easy, but then I'm not able to produce that score, that's probably more worrying than not producing it on hard score. You know what? I think I'm going to say something now. I think my mind's been changed. I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm happy to say I'm going to, I'm going to try and word this. Let me think how I want to say it. I'm. I want yeah, my, my mind's been changed on one thing basically. So going into this, I'll be honest, and kind of what I said last week was that, you know, you've got a personal trainer, you've got all access to all the best gear, you've got your studio, your your well, your studio with your uh, GC quad, etc. That you've got a massive advantage over most of the guys that are entering regional. And in some ways I still think that, but I think my mind's getting changed more, which I should have already known, in fact, but um, you know, my mind's getting changed. The fact that actually you probably don't play as much golf as I thought. You know, you have got a team of staff. You are making content for YouTube like what we do. And actually, a lot of your time is spent watching other edits or just looking after staff or whatever you might be thinking of ideas, creating thumbnail titles, doing other ventures. That Actually, you probably, in some ways, are at a disadvantage to some of the competitors. And like you said, the guy that works in the pro shop, yeah, might be working nine to five, but just jumps outside and hits some balls and, you know, might not have three, four staff to be kind of thinking about and monitoring and stuff. So... I definitely think that's from this conversation, my mind has changed to that, that actually you probably don't play as much as, as I thought you did and that you're not, in some ways you have got an advantage, but actually you, you, you've got a disadvantage in some ways as well. It's, it, it's just a, it's a situation that I find myself in, which is an amazing situation and I just need to manage it better. It's as simple as that. You know, I've got a limited amount of time in the day, but I could be getting up a lot earlier. You know, I could be training before the day even begins. Like I have a normal kind of work day doing what we do, and then I could practice afterwards. Mm. It's just about getting my kind of diary and getting my timings in order and managing that better. It's the the business that we're in, though, and the situation that we're in, it is quite fluid. You know, things come up all the time. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And it's managing that, which is the difficult thing. It goes back to my point that I did raise in the podcast. Can podcast can a YouTuber be good enough to to kind of do it? And it's probably because I see what a YouTuber has to do. A one man band, I think, could a guy that is literally a, a single guy or whatever it might be who is really good at golf, who wants to document it, that will happily spend till two in the morning editing. That's got no commitments. Possibly could, but, it, but it's, even, it's it's time. Like a lot of time goes into the film, into the editing. Like I say, it's a one man band. Oh yeah, like I. I meant, and you did, I know when we were at Trafford, we used to stay up so late at night editing on our own, trying to get the videos out for the next day. It's like, 
I was knackered the day after. Like almost you, you were, your body was drained. I, I just think it's a it's a big challenge when, like say, you're trying to make YouTube content. So that dictates what content you release already. You then got to balance that content with trying to make, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying YouTube golfers as a, as a whole, why it's, why it's more challenging. I do really believe this. I'm almost trying to be more in defense for YouTube golfers because I know how hard it is. Um, and then the pressures of the audience, like that does have an effect on people's ability to play golf. In, in my personal opinion, from what I found, whether it's, I don't, I don't know if you find it like midway through a round, if I was having a good round or a bad round, I was ready to, I was already drafting what my Instagram post was going to be that afternoon. Do you, mm. do, you do that? Um, I'm, I'm getting better at not doing that. But, but Definitely. But it I, was I know, there, wasn't it? I, I know exactly what you mean. But I think with... With what you were saying there about you know little being a bit nervous about your audience, at the end of the day, I know my audience from the messages that I have and the people who contact me. You know, there's people who are watching the Quest for the Open videos, who are you know they're a school teacher but they're studying to be a cook, whatever it's going to be. You know, yeah. there's people who have full time jobs, have full time families who want to change what also they're doing to try and live the life that they want to live. Yeah. And watching stupid golf videos about practice and competition seems to give people a little bit of inspiration in what they're doing. And you know what? It, I quite like how you said that. That kind of it makes sense actually. Yeah. And, it, it, and, it, that in. and again, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Golf. This is golf. It really, 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 really that, doesn't Pete. matter. <laughs> It's, funny. At, it's at, our life. At, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, all I want to be able to do is turn around to myself in, in 20, 30 years if I make it that far and just be like, you know what? You gave that a good go and you did well there. How, how many years, are, how many years though? Can you say now, how many times do you think, is this, is this forever? Have you got a time frame? Have you got, have you got an end goal? Does the goal change? Do, I'm not saying I'm just intrigued to know. You might want to keep this under your hat, but does have you got a plan, or is, is it just each year? I'm going to take it as it as it comes along. Um, yeah, I think it's it's reassessing each year. I think next year, with it being the 150th 150th Open at St Andrews, it's just that's a beautiful yeah. kind of sentence just to even think about. So it's definitely going to be kind of carrying on to the next year. But I think moving forward, even if it's not a quest for the open it might be something it will be something else to do with playing because i'm quite old-fashioned really in my mentality as far as if you're a pro golfer you should keep your game in shape try and improve playing competitions and that is i, I think that's a like across the board for me yeah even though it is it's hard if you are spending 50 hours a week. I think it depends on, I mean, a pro golfer or a golf pro, doesn't it? Because if I see someone's a professional golfer, I think they make their money from playing golf professionally. Whereas a golf pro, if you have a pro shop or have a custom fitting business or you're a golf psychologist who's done his PGA, do they have to be as good at, do they have to still play? I I think they should. Really? I think they should. Not, not just, not because, you know, they want to achieve a playing goal, but certainly when I was coaching full time, and I was then playing in events around that, it gave me a much better appreciation of what golfers actually go through. You know, playing golf is hard. And if people come in for a lesson and you're, you know, coaching them, and certainly this happened at Trafford a lot, I was coaching people that were getting technically better, but then they were coming back in and saying, oh, I didn't actually play well in the comp. Mm. And I was personally thinking, well, why? 
why haven't you played well in the comp? You're swinging it better. He must not be trying harder. There's more to golf than me in the bay, isn't there? Hundred percent. And then when you actually play in competitions and you test yourself, you learn again like how hard it is. You gain an appreciation for people trying and working. I think that's important, but it's obviously difficult. It's obviously difficult to do. Yeah, it's difficult to be a pro working full time doing YouTube, for example. Working, doing YouTube, and then if you're a full time range pro, if you're a coach, if you're working full time in a shop, if you're custom fitting, to then say, ah, right, well, I'm gonna carve out time to play in a comp. Mm-hmm. That's it's not easy to do. I think it's a financial thing as well, oh, like, yeah, 100%, because yeah. a day out of a busy teaching diary, which is guaranteed. Like when we were at Trafford, six days a week coaching. I was I was doing like sixty, nearly seventy hours of coaching a week. For me to take a day out of my diary to go and play in a competition just made zero sense to me because obviously you lo- you end up losing money for that, don't you, really? Because unless you win it, but even if you win it, there's no guarantee you're going to make as much money as you would have done. No, no. Like there almost needs to be like, in, in a weird way, the, the only way you could almost do it is if if every pro, you wouldn't be able to do this in a million years, but if, if they were almost, um, a bit like when, we, when you're assistant, you had to do seven playing events throughout the year. Mm-hmm. If that was still a, a, a setting that you had to do to keep your PJ qualification for the rest of your life. Um, but again, I just, I don't know how you'd it's factor it It's got to depend on what, it, what you're doing. I mean, oh, no, I get that as well. Like not... you said, as a coach, it might have some, some merit, but like as a custom fitter or something where it's about like stats and facts and right, what's in front of you, does it matter if you shot 75 last week or 85? Uh, and, like... and, so, and what's mad is even some of the best co- golf coaches in the world aren't great players. Oh, no. Well, well, is that the analogy? Nobody could coach Dustin Johnson if that was the case, yeah, could they? Because exactly. they're not better than him. So, like, even, like, I'm sure, you know, th- there are many, many golf coaches. A lot of the golf coaches that coach on tour have been players and they've played out on tour at some point in their life or whatever. But you don't have to be a great player to be a great coach. Of course you So, it's, it's, yeah, I think the swings and roundabouts. I'm, I'm not in the mindset that you need to play in competitions to, to continue to be a, a golf pro. Um, but I know a lot of people kind of have that that idea as well. Do we do we feel like we've rounded all that up quite I don't nicely? Know what, have you got anything else you want to add? Do you want Pete, to get off you, anything off your chest, Pete? No, no, not 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 particularly. I think um, I think that's kind of summed some everything up. Pretty so, well, so to summarize it, I don't think you should quit. I think you've got to conti- try and continue to shoot frigging six under. I'd love to see you try and compete in some bigger tournaments, but I know that's coming up because you've got the have you got the English PJ coming up soon. Yeah, that's in um, that's in a couple of weeks. Like, I, I, I'd love to see how you're going to get on with that. Definitely, without question, we did not accuse you of editing your content on YouTube. It was more taking the snips and making it look like you were a good golfer on social media, which I. everybody does. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That's kind of what it, snippets, almost a, a little snippet of of how you're playing. I think you're trending in the right direction. I'm intrigued to see how you content. I think I think with the Crest of the Open, and, and again, you have to take our advice, or I think they, they could be a little bit more... What's the right word? It's almost like a holistic view of your life, I'd say. Yeah, just just a bit more like... I know you mentioned this idea of, of trying to teach the audience what you've learned from your rounds. Could you do that more? Because I, I know you mentioned the video you just said there, you released this weekend talked about to the audience i don't think i did enough a good enough job at telling people what i learned in my round of golf and it's even like final qualifying like i'd love to if you've just been candid straight to the camera this is what i learned about shooting 79 at at regional qualifying this year Mm -hmm. and really kind of 
I think you'd get so much love back from that. I like to say it's that balance between what's what's the biggest views videos. But I do think having that like because there's little things, nobody really knew about your wrist injury until a couple of days before, really a week or so before. You change your putter before regional qualifying, which no one knew about unless there's a video coming about that soon. I think there's so much more that and people are desperate to know. Like people would lap that stuff up. Um so yeah, it's just my little two pence on that. Yeah. Well. No, no, it's right. And I think yeah, we've been having kind of talks about how how we can do that better. Because it is the case that certainly what I want to do, and we did this at open qualifying, so there's going to be another uh, Road to the Open video coming out where there was basically a, a camera team following me around the whole the whole round. Really? Just quickly, for people listening, this is not a Pete video. This is an open video that they're documenting you. So it's, yeah. it's separate. I feel like they stole the idea, the idea a little bit off you, I'm honest. Did you not copyright that? They don't want to say anything to us. Yeah, it's just say road to the open quest. quest to the open. You're like, hold on, but they, it's their open, I suppose. You know what? I, you know what? Yeah, I should have. Yeah. I should have taken them to task about using open. Yeah, in their How videos. Dare you use How open? Could they do that? <laughs> they might have been able to hold you to ransom for that. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, but no, genuinely, I, I I love seeing when you've shot great scores. You know, the fact that you, you had a hole in one this year, the fact that you had your freaking first professional win. It's definitely trending in the right direction. Um. We're not ending it now, though, are we? Keep doing it. No, no, no I'm just staying, You've staying for a bit. bit. I want to end that. Um, bit. Yeah? You don't, you don't have to. You don't have to. We'd like you to. Um, no, I was thinking, because basically, Pete, you might not know this, but we've had an issue with our podcast on Apple where, when, for some reason, once it goes over an hour, they start to, like, not show up in the feed for days and end. So how far in are we, Harry? 50. 55 minutes in. No, so really? I, yeah. Maybe we could do like another, <laughs> this could be at like the end of part one, maybe that can go out on Tuesday and we can, because we've got a couple more questions to answer, like people saying, if you two fell out and stuff. So maybe, <laughs> Ooh, pop the that juicy stuff. and also we've got loads of questions for you on Facebook. When, so maybe it's our boxing fight. I think Pete'd probably have you. What? Yeah. We'll come on to that in part two. Uh, we're just trying to make things so people click on to part two, so we're going to keep going. Um, <laughs> it's not our first rodeo. So if you want to hear in part two, I'm going to preempt the biggest argument you're ever going to see or hear. Stay tuned for part two. Red monster versus white monster, which is a better drink. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for your time, Pete. Uh, hopefully we've cleared the air and no worries, people understand where we were kind of getting from. And I think, you know what? I definitely have changed my idea on a few things. I know you yeah, mentioned yeah. you have. Uh, it was nice to sit down. We probably should have done this Monday, rang you up and said, tells everything about it but albeit that's what's happened guys thanks for listening episode number 80 something something-ish. whatever we'll see you should we do friday next episode A little friday treat always goes down well. well we'll hear you on friday for part two of the interview with pfh Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.